Welcome to Between Lewis and Lovecraft. I'm Hannah. And I'm Tyler. We're here to learn more about the lives of authors that have inspired us, a journey into the stories they not only created, but also lived. So join us as we dive deep into the worlds that live just out of reach. Okay, Hannah, let's go ahead and uh, join hands in prayer oh, as we prepare ourselves for this endeavor that we will be journeying, journeying together on. So, I love journeying <sighs> on a good endeavor. Prayer, prayer's happening now. Dear Lord Saturn, we just want to thank you for your ability to be in the sky and... Uh, um, Great Jupiter, who looks down upon us with your great red eye, thank you for all your vestiges and presence. Uh, Mars, as well, thank you, Mars, for bequeathing us with the great gifts of your martial prowess. And uh, to the great Venus, as we prepare ourselves, that you will come inside of us. I saved Venus specifically for that one because dude said venereal like 10 times. Yeah, I was like, oh, that's where venereal comes from. (laughs) (laughs) It makes sense. It's a love disease. A love disease? Well, I don't think there's a lot of love going on. Yeah, well. Uh, Tyler, what was the purpose (laughs) of that prayer? (laughs) It was to welcome everybody to uh, Between Lewis and Lovecraft. Hannah, we're back. We're back, and it feels so good. Yeah. Um, we're not going to spend a lot of time, because recently I was, uh, I've was i been listening to a lot of podcasts that took a break and are coming back now, and they all spend like 10 minutes talking about their break and how they're back, and I don't know why. It just annoys the shit out of me. <laughs> it's like, this is not why I listen to your show, so stop. Talking about Stop it. talking about your personal <laughs> life and what you did on your hiatus. Yeah. So, Hannah, how was your time? No, I'm joking. I'm not, I don't care. It's 2021. It's uh, much like 2020. I did nothing. Yeah. Yeah. We read books. We read books. Yeah. We took our time off from reading books to read books. Good <laughs> Just job, guys. Different books. Yeah. Oh man, Hannah, what? What uh, what are we talking about here today, Hannah? So we thought that um, in honor of coming back from our break, which we're not going to talk about, but yep. we're, we're back now. Um, so we were going to revisit one of our earlier authors, our first author, actually. Yeah. Um, just in kind of a different context. So uh, obviously we are between Lewis and Lovecraft, our first author that we talked or talked about i can't do the words today yeah the words which I are made hard very clear like the moment i sat down and said like <laughs> i feel like <laughs> i feel like yeah no. we took um, a month off we took uh there was a time period in which the thing that we're doing now wasn't happening so i lost the ability to so speak. all things happen bad <laughs> all things <laughs> so we're talking about c.s lewis again but this time looking at a particular theory about his most popular uh, most famous works, The Chronicles of Narnia. I mean, you had a teeny tiny little book about Narnia. You let <laughs> I me had a whole book them. about all of his work from when he was a teenager. Uh, 
they mentioned some poem he wrote when he was six in here. <laughs> <laughs> but so we basically read like the same book. I just got the Cliff's Notes version, which I am eternally grateful for. Yeah. Um. So we're looking at Michael Ward, who is um an English scholar who like is so obsessed with C.S. Lewis that he literally lived at the kilns for a while while mm-hmm. he was researching him. Mm-hmm. Um. So. Tyler read Planet Narnia, which is like the big, great thesis that is Michael Ward's theory about the Chronicles of Narnia. Yeah. And I got the Narnia Code, which is the nice, like, 100-page version. Yeah. Which, frankly, I think this is all you need to know. Well, <laughs> I think that we got it in the right uh, – I think set. I – yeah, yeah, I would like, not have I gotten think, as much out of that yeah, as you did. I got a ton out of this, and this is the amount that I wanted to get out of it. You got what you needed out of it, which is the Cliff Notes. Yeah. Let's just get through this. And I'm like redefining my entire faithhood. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, that's cool. I can see that. Oh, that's oh, he really liked Venus like a lot. A lot. Like he was like really into Venus. Maybe he had venereal disease. No, he didn't have venereal diseases. He, but he's he had... like our least problematic author. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, Frank Herbert was slightly problematic but he was okay he's kind of a douchebag but yeah. like in an okay way uh, yeah lewis was great though <laughs> lewis was great um yeah and you know i'm trying to think of why I, I wanted to i wanted to do this back when we first started like i was like here's a biography on c.s lewis and also here's planet narnia i want to do both of yeah, these yeah i was things very intimidated by yeah. that idea <laughs> uh so i waited until i could coerce hannah into doing the planet Narnia. Um, but then on top of it, like there's been a lot of stuff about Tolkien that's been coming out lately of like, it, he had a movie come out. Amazon is now doing the Salmarinian. There's a ton of stuff that it's always about how in depth his world is and, and how, you know, and, and, and I've heard it so much of like Tolkien was like, you know, he had everything figured out and CS Lewis just, you know, put Jesus in, in a furry suit and, <laughs> And then made a children's story. And like, and that's the comparison. And it always bothered me. And I never understood why. But I always liked, I always liked Lewis more, you know. And, and it, it probably comes because, you know, I've read a lot of his apologetics and Christian thinking. And I know that he's someone who puts a lot of logical thought into what he does. So I've never looked at the Narnia series as like, oh, it's just for kids. Um, but I never really had the words to convey that. And now I do. And I think that's why it's important to me. So, What I thought was crazy that I just learned when I was doing the research for this episode was that Tolkien didn't even like Narnia, which right. like blew my mind. I'm like, yeah. you guys are like besties. You're critique partners, basically. Yeah. And Tolkien didn't even like his best friend's work. He was like, yeah. this is lame. It's a hodgepodge. Nothing like fits. Uh, mm-hmm. It's just a kid's story and not that, like, elegant. Yeah. And, and yeah, leave it to, to him to say that about um, Narnia when Lewis was in love with yes, uh, Lord, the of the Lord of the Rings. He, yeah, I the think only... Tolkien didn't even finish reading Narnia. He, like, right. quit. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and there are people that to this day will attest that Lord of the Rings would not exist if it wasn't for C.S. Lewis. Because Lewis pushed and pushed and pushed to keep reading them because he was such a huge fan of of what Tolkien was writing. Tolkien was having a hard time. And we're going to talk about this later because, uh, spoiler alert, (laughs) Tolkien's our next author. 
but Woo! that's we're only seven minutes in so thanks episode thanks listeners <laughs> that's been our episode tune in next time no thanks episode that's been our listeners wow <laughs> so good at this guys it's like we've never done this before <laughs> so yeah so i mean do we want to kind of like explain what this thing that we're talking about is this this theory um yeah so i think we should that's why we're here yeah <laughs> crazy that's yeah, super weird so basically michael ward's whole theory is that the seven um chronicles of narnia are each based on a different one of the pre-copernican planet so if you didn't pay attention in astronomy class uh nicholas copernicus was the dude who in the early like 1500s ish uh said the sun instead of the earth was at the center of the universe mm-hmm. um and kind of just threw all of conventional uh like cos cosmology is that no you're like right understanding cosmology. of the yeah understanding of the cosmos astrology. out the window astrology yes um and before that um people thought that there were seven planets and they actually included the sun and the moon as planets right um the other ones were jupiter mars mercury venus and saturn um and c.s lewis like obviously by the time he was alive like yes we knew the correct order of the planets except pluto yeah. um Right. And and Neptune. And Neptune. But he still really liked the kind of medieval or renaissance way of looking at the um, cosmos, particularly because it was like a lot more spiritual. Yeah. Like back then people attributed like personality traits almost to the, the planets mm-hmm. um, and had like backstories for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was something that really appealed to him because he was a storyteller, obviously. And it, it was just more he thought like a holistic way of looking at the universe. Like, yeah, you have the sun and the moon and the stars. Um, but also, what do they represent in your life? Yeah. Uh, the the one quote that I absolutely love is, and I, I don't even know if it's from Narnia. I honest to God can't remember where it's from. Uh, but um, it was it's in a story somewhere where somebody's like, you know, what is a star? And they're like, that's it's just a giant ball of gas and fire. And they're like, that's what a star's made out of. But what is what is a star? Like it, it, it and it's that question of like acknowledging. Acknowledging that there, yes, there are scientific facts here. Yes, it is a ball of gas and fire, but there's more to it than that. Like there is more, and you don't know that there's not more to it. So don't argue what it's not. Argue what it could be. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I love that that so much. And and I think it's because, you know, there's there is a a certain duality of of like yes, I accept that humans are molecules water carbon and you know we're, we're just each breath before we die until we take our next breath and you know each thought is just electricity running through your brain in specific patterns and we are science we are this matter thing but what we're supposed to be like what we really are is more than that uh, and that's that spirituality and I think that that's why I like this approach because C.S. Lewis never denies science and he never says, no, that's that's obviously Earth is the center of the universe. Like he's not a flat earther. He's not like this crazy person. But what he does is he approaches it with the idea of like there's there is. And I think it was pointed out in Planet Narnia when it's like approaching it the way that poets approach the world. Like there is beauty in the way that things can be right not in the way that the facts present them as and so the the idea that yes there are planets and they they are they are what they are but they can represent so much more um i thought that was 
really cool. And it really opened up my ability to be okay with a pre-Capernium way of looking at the universe or solar system, I should say, for this execution. Definitely. And then um, just like a like slightly shallower reason that he probably liked it was because so many of the artists and writers that he liked had like been writing around the time that they still believed in the seven the medieval uh, yeah the, the like, like Shakespeare and stuff yeah um and a lot of the Greek mythology and other mythologies that influenced Lewis um were very much tied to the pre-Copernican um universe so there's a lot of like references that he makes in his work that are based on writers who were writing before they knew that the earth was the center of the universe yeah um so yeah so one of the things that and he probably went way more into it in um, planet Narnia, but the ward sets up is like, basically Lewis didn't tell anybody about any of the things that he's inferring mm-hmm. in this work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's kind of a big one. It's like, okay, you're coming out here trying to like totally rework the way that people see um, these novels and there's literally no proof, quote unquote. Right. <laughs> um, right. So he, in in the Narnia Code, he gave a couple examples. He's like, you know, Lewis was a very secretive guy. Um, he was yep. good at keeping secrets. He uh, didn't tell his closest friends, including Tolkien, that he got married. Yep. Um, and he also was of the mindset, uh, there's that old cliche that, like, good art is art that hides itself. Yeah. Um, Lewis thought that, you know, if you, basically, if you had to spell something out for someone, they weren't going to understand it. Like, you have to subtly put your idea in their mind um without being like hey you grabbing him by the collar and being like this is what i'm trying to tell you yeah and i think i mean i personally hate it when authors try to spell things out for you like so literally i'm like i don't need you to hold my hand right this is totally taking me out of the mood of this book like that's one of my biggest pet peeves in books so i think um there's a lot to be said for you know writing the thing that you want and putting all the meaning into it and then just letting people make what they will of it sure you're not their babysitter yeah i mean look at moby dick (laughs) Like, that dude just wrote, I mean, all kinds of stuff that people are, like, diving into for metaphor. Um, so there's there's absolutely writers who have written works that we're still dissecting. And um, I think it's a very biblical approach to things. And I think that, that word right there, ring, ding, 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 we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. And, uh, and I'm just going to give a, a warning to everybody. Sorry. Ty uh, Ty the Bible guy is going to be here. For majority of this show, um, I like how he's like your other personality. It's yeah. like Doctor uh, Jekyll and Mr Hyde. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, I don't. Uh, if this is your first time listening to our show, thank you so much for listening to our show. I am a Christian. I grew up a Christian. I'm uh, reconstructing my faith. I've been in a reconstruction phase for almost five to seven years now and and i'm in a pretty good place where i can talk about my feelings and understandings and questions about things i also don't hold back when i'm talking about my beliefs uh hannah is uh, sorry to out you hannah you're not a uh faith having person type of person i'm not a faith having person (laughs) yeah right uh, I don't, I I don't, it sounds so harsh to me. She's a non-Christian. Like, it's so, like, <laughs> defining. I don't like it. Uh, the point being, I don't hold back. I never hold back because it's it's where I am. It's who I am. It's, it's what I believe or what I'm working through. Um, at that same time, I 
for zero minutes a day expect people to come to Christ because of what I'm throwing out there. Uh, most of this is me working through it myself, and I'm, I'm throwing it out there to see how does, how does someone like Hannah respond to this? How does someone like uh, Phil respond to this? I don't know. I'm just, <laughs> like, I just want to know how, how you guys respond to things. And, and so there's never ever – there's people in my life that will talk to, to me about how things are. Well, the Bible says this. Oh, Scripture says this. And I just go, uh-huh, yep. Okay, because I don't want to have the talk. I don't want to have a conversation with them. I don't want to have the argument with them. They're never going to understand. They don't care about what I think. They only care about what they think. And that is not who I want to be. I want to be somebody who listens as much as talks about what I believe. So I am not trying to convert anybody to Christianity when I talk about this, but I am talking about things the way that I see them. So that just I just want to make that so clear because that there's no expectation with me except to have a good conversation. If And that's what I like best about you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so all you yeah, militant so, atheists out there, yeah. don't come at us Just with chill. your pitchforks. Well, forks. no, come at us. I don't fucking come at care. Us with, I don't like, fucking care. Logic and comments, we, yeah, we, but not pitchforks. You, can, you dude, the more you come at me, the more I'm going to either learn or bolster what I already believe. And if you come out at, at me with ignorance, <laughs> you're just proving my point. So we're good. Um so biblically the bible is more than just one book right the the bible is a collection of ideas and paraphrases or not paraphrases parables and and psalms and and poetry and stories and history and and all kinds of things it, it is revelation it is prophecy it is wisdom and um conviction it's all these things put into one and it's none of those things. And and I've gotten into arguments with people who are like, the doctrine of the Bible is. And, and I go, no, there's no such thing as the doctrine of the Bible. Because first of all, there's a shit ton of Bibles. So, yeah, okay. And two, the Bible is a living thing that 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 changes depending on the reader and, and who you are and what you bring to it. And that's what I believe C.S. Lewis wanted out of the Narnia series. I, I believe truly that he wanted it to be so deep that you can't just come to it and say it's only a child story or it's only a Christian story or, or what have you. It's, it's, it's changing. It's ever evolving and it grows with society and culture and people as, as they grow. Um, so that was a huge tangent. That was like yeah, that a was like a minute. pre-sermon sermon. So uh, trust me, it's coming, guys. Kay. It's coming. So should we get into the the seven books themselves? Yeah. All Definitely. right. Definitely. We are not doing this book justice. This book is so <laughs> intense. You guys, seriously, go read this book. It's so good. It's yeah. I I would recommend Narnia Code if you're like <laughs> not at Tai Tai the Bible Guy level. But if you're at Tai Tai the Bible Guy level, definitely get Planet Narnia. <laughs> Definitely. Even if you're not tie tie level guy. No, I feel like it would have like <laughs> totally lost me. I would have been like, oh my gosh, Michael Ward, why are you? Uh, I can't do words. Why are you blathering on? I was gonna say like mix prattling with blathering, and that was gonna be weird. Plathering. Plathering. That's a good word. Plathering. Is that so? Is that what I do whenever I get on, I, whenever I get on a tangent? I'm plathering. Yes. From now on, I'm gonna be like Tyler. Tyler stop, stop plathering. plathering. <laughs> All right, Hannah, right. tell us about that. Tell us about them planets. Uh, uh, so should should we like give a like outline of which 
one is with each book before we go in depth? Uh, like with all of them? You want to just go through the list and say, okay. Yeah. So, Or so, just take it one at a time. No, let's go through it. Let's give people an overview. Okay. So um, basically what Hannah's talking about is each, each book in the Narnia series represents one planet, mm-hmm. or at least there's a theme of each planet within each book. Yes. That's what that's what Ward is trying to explain. Yes. So um so yeah, just the general lineup is The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, first book, Jupiter. Uh Prince Caspian, Mars, Sun or The Voyage of the Dawn Treader is the Sun, uh The Silver Chair, Moon, The Horse and His Boy, Mercury, The Magician's Nephew, Venus, uh, and The Last Battle, Saturn. <laughs> so, starting at the very beginning. We've got The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, um, and Jupiter. So Jupiter, back in the the pre-Copernican model, um, was really strongly associated with a lot of um, qualities like kingship in particular. That was a big one. Um, Christ, uh, strength, uh, a lot of stuff like that. So, I mean, God, it's so hard to, like, start breaking down this whole argument because it's such a big argument. Okay, guess, let's let's get into it, Hannah. Let's oh, Tyler's freaking ready. get into it. We're starting with Jupiter, which is the biggest one. I don't know why we're starting with Jupiter, but because that's it's the, the order. Big, sure. All right. So, but yeah. Well, okay. Between Lewis, or between Lewis and Love, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe uh, was was Lewis's first book, and or not first book, first book in the Narnia series, and he, and the first one that he wrote. Right. It's the first book in the Narnia series. Whether you read it or. The, it it should be the first one you read. Yes. Like, don't read The Magician's Nephew first. That's a dumb thing to do. Don't do that. Read Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe and read about Jupiter. Read about the god Jupiter and the essence of Jupiter coming down into a physical form and embracing something jo- jovial is, is the word, right? Jovial is what he said it is. You've got a land of... Uh, ice that has just been winter, uh, but never Christmas. And it's and you've got th- these kids that show up and they're all like, ah, oh, what are we doing here? This is dumb. And then somebody's all like, yo, Aslan's on the move. And then all of a sudden they're <laughs> all like, oh, Aslan, that's such a cool name. It fills me with happiness and joy, jovality, being jovial. What? So it's like this big deal. And so... Jupiter is is the king of the gods in the Roman uh, mythology, and um, and he spreads joy and comfort. He's the god of spring. He is always the god that shows up when uh, winter is failing and spring is arriving. Crazy. The god of winter past. <laughs> right, right. <clears throat> Crazy how that happens yes. in Narnia, right? Winter ends and spring begins. And they talk about how it's not just spring, but it's new growth. It's it's arrival of, of something. And one of the big things that people have a problem with when it comes to uh, the Narnia, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe specifically, is that there is uh, Father Christmas, right? That, mm-hmm. that Santa Claus shows up. But in reality, what he's showing is what where Father Christmas came from because the Father Christmas outfit that we know of came from people dressing up in the jovial garb 
when it was the winter solstice to remind people that soon spring will come. It's at the it's at the the longest or shortest day of the year, the solstice. We're moving on. We're moving into spring now. We're we're finally going to get warmer. And then Christianity took that and turned it into Christmas, right? But C.S. Lewis doesn't give a shit about that. He cares about the time of the year and the representation of the jovial spirit. As time goes on, everyone becomes lighthearted. And even Edmund, who breaks away from all of his brothers and sisters, when he first meets Aslan, like he's filled with this something that that he knows is going to be good. Right. Even even though there's dread, they're still good. And and that's the that's the idea that you have this dreaded king who is above all. And yet he has come down to show you a, a good time. And there's there's all kinds of stuff. And that's what the planet Narnia is all about. He goes into poetry. He goes into astrology. He goes into what the planet's metals are and how there's all these metals that are within all this shit, which is insane. You've got. um and then you've got uh, how they how they pertain to his sci-fi books, which are I mean they are one hundred percent the illustration of what these planets would kind of be in a sci-fi fantasy, you know, as gods but under God. And that was one of the big things that they try to that he tries to explain is with Aslan. <clears throat> Aslan is not. He doesn't have to explain how Aslan is Jupiter. He just is. And and for that book, he represents the Jupiter form in this book. And he can represent both Christ and Jupiter, the, the dying and coming back, the, the resurrection. It's both Jupiter and Christ at once. And that's why it's a laser layered. You've got the 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 lion, the king of the beasts. And so he's a fairy tale. You've got the death and resurrection. So he's Jesus. And you have this jovial king of all kings that brings forth light and getting rid of winter so he's jupiter yeah there was also the interesting point about how like um jupiter because it has the red spot on it is often tied to christ because it's like it's a bleeding wound on yeah. jupiter so yeah. therefore it's very jesus like uh like representing sacrifice and all of that too which i thought was interesting and not something i knew about jupiter previously no idea about that um i also I like no idea. you referenced um c.s lewis's other works like the sci-fi stuff and that was a big uh deal when it came to ward like rationalizing his theory he's like yeah. lewis has already shown that he's really into the planets and their symbolism he had a poem called um the planets, the planets. Yep. that like had a line that was very similar to like jupiter brought about the end of winter or something mm -hmm. like that um so i think that was Correct me. Was that Ward's like by Jove I've got it moment? He was like laying yeah, in bed reading like the the poem The Planets or something, and it was like, holy crap, I've got it. Yeah, yeah. I realized the secret like meaning that. And ties even all he of talks about like when he was a kid, it didn't make sense that Santa Claus showed up in Narnia. Yeah, and that always really bothered him, and that's something that bothered Tolkien a lot. <laughs> right. Like why, dude? What the fuck? Why do you have Santa Claus in Narnia? That makes yeah. zero sense because why it's do they even not know that Santa Christmas Claus. Is Christmas? Yeah, it's not. It's not that it's Christmas, it's that it's the solstice, it's that it's Jupiter's ascending, and it's, it's that returning to life from the dead sort of uh, Jupiter theme that Christ also portrays, and I'm going to get into that later. Um, and then what, my last thing that I wanted to bring up was um, on the kingship note, uh, Aslan's not the only king in this story. There's also the battle of the kings between Peter and Edmund. Mm. Uh, Peter is like on Aslan's side, the, the quote-unquote good side, and then Edmund's getting like roped in by the... the the white, white witch. witch yeah the white witch uh who like promises him that if he just is on her side he'll become king someday yeah um 
And then ultimately Aslan, you know, brings him back with forgiveness. Yeah. Um, and shows him shows him the way forward. And then everyone becomes kings at the end. Or, yeah. Or queens. Right. And that's the other part of it is that Jupiter is a king above the other kings. Above all. So Peter right. is Peter also and Jupiter Edmund. in a sense. Well, no, Peter and Edmund are supposed to be representative of like there are other gods, but Jupiter is the god of the gods. So Peter and Edmund are kings, and Aslan is the king of those kings sort of situation. Peter still ends up on top for the, like, siblings, though. Right. He's like, he's the high he's king. He's the high king. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Um, but the, the point being that, that Aslan in that is above them who it's the same idea yeah king of kings yeah so that's that's just the beginning and and if you look at that it's like okay there that's cool idea but that okay whatever like <laughs> uh so what so we put some jupiter themes in there and it and and the reason why that's important is because it's just the setup of why did he write this Right. Mm-hmm. And, and he's starting to come to the idea of like, why would he write the, the this fantasy, this fairy tale uh, that's trying to be a, a Christian model? Um, but then he uses some ideas. Uh, so we can move on to uh, Mars. Prince, Prince Caspian. So Prince Caspian um, in in yield in times, Mars was associated with two oh, very I, different things. I just learned something about yield and oh. the why in ye is actually like a very specific symbol that used to represent t the th sound what? and but then things got like the way that printers used to be like they would change it to a y because it's it's basically like it almost kind of looks like a p with an extra little leg that's jetting out and so printers would just use a y instead because they didn't have that they but they had y's and so they so would, lazy printers yeah are the so it became so we... became a y which became ye but in reality, it's still supposed to be the, and then and then in English they finally were like, we'll just use the th to create that sound, and so it became the, became the, so yield is actually the old, still. Dang it! Yeah, that has now, nothing to do with what we're talking about. Here, just so you know. So in the old yep. times. Uh, Mars had kind of two different associations, one of them being... This was such a cool thing I didn't know about. That it had two different ones? Yeah. Yeah. So one of them, which is, I think the more commonly known association is war yeah. and martial law yeah. and, uh, you know, all of that. But there's also um, an association with the woods and, like, springtime, and that's why March is called March, and it's also the only month that's named after a planet uh, because March is when the woods are you know, becoming green again and, and everything's coming back to life after winter. Um, so that was a cool, like, secondary meaning to Mars that I didn't know about before. Um, and both of these traits are embodied in the story of Prince Caspian. So uh, in Prince Ca- Caspian, the the Pevensey children, uh, I think all four of them, uh, arrive in Narnia in the middle of a big war uh, that's going on that's supposed to restore the kingdom to Caspian. So obviously with that, you've got the war, the the military aspects, the weapons that are a huge part of the story, um, suggesting that Lewis wanted to create that martial atmosphere. Um, but there's also the the wood woodland aspect to it. Um, Green Roof is the month that this is supposed to be taking place in, and it's the only month mentioned in any of the Chronicles, I guess, mm-hmm. um, and is strongly like suspected to be March. 
Um, and then also Lucy at one point tries to wake the trees but fails and then later she finds the trees awake in the presence of Aslan so he's like he's arrived and he's awoken nature um, and ultimately the the trees chase the the enemy out and like drive them off which very much reminded me of Tolkien's the two towers yeah I know right I was like okay is this a rivalry between you guys like did Tolkien get mad at you for having this scene or I don't know which one came out first uh, but yeah. Oh, and then this one also had like one of those seemingly random characters. Um, is it pronounced Bacchus? Bac- yeah. Yeah. Um, and that was one that Ward was like, he seems like very out of place in this story. Um, but if you know the meaning behind it, um, in ancient Rome, the festival of Mars began on the first day of March and lasted almost the whole month. And Bacchanalian festivities or ceremonies celebrating Bacchus were part of that. So in this story, he shows up and like gets everyone drunk or something and they have like a good time. Um, and that's like the extent of it, but it actually relates to the festival of Mars. Yeah, um, there's there's a lot to Mars as well uh, within this. Um, so there, there's a lot of like the out of the silent planet, which is the first book in the Ransom trilogy, which is the sci-fi stuff that he talks about. Um, obviously, it takes place on Mars. So there's a lot there. Um, and there's a lot of the courtship between the uh, human equivalent to Mars and the human equivalent to Venus, and they're having a kid, and it's like the new Jupiter, essentially. It's kind of a big deal in there. Um, but, yeah, so the Roman Mars was originally Mars Silvanus was was the original name, uh, and Silvanus became uh, – the term for this vegetation Mars, this um, forest and and wild Mars, um, and the uh, the there's like in D and D we we deal with like the Sylvans and like the Fae and the Sylvans and stuff, and that that comes from the the Mars Sylvanus, which is people of the, the Fae Wild, people of the of the wilds and stuff like that. So that was really cool. Month of March is when uh, spring blooms and, you know, when armies can march off. And so that's like a a put together sort of idea. Like we named spring, the first month of spring March when armies are marching. Um, So you have that connotation going with it. Um, Lots of woodland imagery. Uh, Aslan is seen uh, in Dancing Trees when he's first seen in uh, Prince Caspian by, I believe, Lucy sees him. And and then there's the, the martial part of Mars that isn't necessarily war itself, but being a knight, like knight, um, knighthood and chivalry and martyrdom. Martyr. Martyrdom. Martyrdom, thank you. Um, and, like, l- basically what I think is important about those is and why it's important for the story at least is all of those are about understanding your place and doing what's required of you, your duty, right? Your knighthood um, is, it's about rising yourself up to be an example to people of how to treat people, how to protect people, how to, uh, defend and to cut out the corrupt sort of sort of thing. At least that's what's portrayed here in the Narnia series and, and why we see Caspian growing into the kingly type of person that he is as as Peter and Edmund get back into the swing of things and become more and more martial 
people who want to fight and battle and, and do things. They, um, he talks a lot about the air within Narnia, the influenza of Narnia is Marshall in that book. And they just breathing it in makes them want to become more better people. But even like Lucy, who she is, uh, trying to convince people like, Hey, I, I, we, we need to follow Aslan. Like that's what we need to do. And nobody really believes her. And eventually she learns the place of being able to accept, whether people believe her or not. And eventually as she does that, she starts to come to terms with Aslan as well. Um, so there's, there's a lot of that theme that runs through that story all culminating and, and the Mars Mars like um, theme, I think does climax into the, the conjoining of those two ideas, the Sylvanas and the warlike uh, Mars when trees themselves literally uproot and go fight a war like that is that you couldn't you, have you more spurred of a, the woods <laughs> to battle like. yeah so like just that imagery of itself in of itself combines the two images of mars uh most of which people don't understand that mars was the god of vegetation i don't know that that was super cool to find out and you didn't know that even like having played D and having the no. Syl- sylvanus the the sylvan, sylvan i knew i knew the word sylvan i didn't know where it came from though oh interesting yeah i'm sure there's dms out there that know that and they're like oh technically yeah they're like pushing their the glasses third up age their of Roman, right so. <laughs> <laughs> all right are we done with mars I think we're done with Mars. Yeah, there's uh, there's so many. Again, to there's <laughs> so much to these things, you guys, and it's just a matter of seeing the pattern. That's what we're trying to point out is is the pattern of this. So, uh, what's the next one? The next one is uh, Voyage of the Dawn Treader, um, yeah, and the, the planet that it corresponds to is is the Sun, which is Soul. Yeah, yeah, which is a star, not a planet. But you know, I'm living in the the present. <laughs> right. So um, the sun was traditionally thought to be responsible for making all the gold that already existed on Earth. Um, and alchemists wanted to imitate the the power in the Middle Ages and uh, the Renaissance by turning base metals into gold. They wanted to, like, literally become the sun. Um, and Lewis thought the sun's power to make gold could be used as a symbol of God's power, basically, to save humans and redeem them and turn them into something better and more pure. Um, so that was kind of the, the influence there. Voyage also includes, like, that whole scene on the island with the the lake in it yep. that everything the water touches turns to gold yep. so that's like literally embodying the the alchemist mm-hmm. uh version of the sun as well um and in that scene caspian is like overtaken by greed he sees all the potential that could come from harnessing the power of that pool mm-hmm. um he and edmund fight and then everyone stops when they see aslan off in the distance kind of like reminding them and freeing them from the the greed that comes from this physical um, object basically and reminding them that there's a higher gold or or power mm. um and then the another thing that ward notes is that the sun like hurts and humbles um according to the the poem the planets mm-hmm. that's like one of lewis's lines in there is that it hurts and humbles um and aslan embodies those qualities of the sun when he like literally cuts Eustace out of his dragon skin because mm-hmm. uh, like Eustace thinks it's going to be really cool to like make fun of the the dead dragon and be like, oh, I slayed this dragon even though he totally didn't. Mm. Um, and then he like gets absorbed by it magically. So Aslan has to like slice him out of it. Um, and Eustace is like both embarrassed, so humbled, um, and also like in a great deal of physical pl- uh, pain. Sure. Um, 
And then slaying of dragons is also connected with Apollo, who was the god of light in Greek mythology. So that's Mm -hmm. just like yet another sun connection. Yeah, there's four different dragons throughout the Dawn Treader uh, and including the the Dawn Treader boat itself is shaped like a serpent. And yeah, Mm -hmm. Apollo is the great serpent hunter. Um, So there's that imagery. Um, uh, (laughs) Aslan's... um, the the end of the world essentially the 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 way that the Aslan's country is there's a lot of light to the point where it's no longer being lit but it's starting to come into focus mm-hmm. um, and I I think that's the important one for me at least as I'm reading these stories is the idea that light is enlightening right and sometimes that's not good and I think that was a big part of that scene where there's there's the pool that turns things to gold and you know the the sun's metal is gold and and this pool turns things to gold and it brings out that greed within uh Prince Caspian and we see that his intentions aren't necessarily the best they're they're to further his kingdom and and further um his his place as the king of narnia and it's it's only through that that we see that you know it's it's only in the light of those actions and thoughts and things that we understand what caspian's um motivation is and it's an enlightening moment and then only through that can we see a path to redemption you know and asland is that reminder of you know of uh, redeeming qualities and, um, you know, turning the 180 to, to redemption and, and, and not being that way. And, and you can only do that when you confront your way, you're, you doing that. A lot of people would, they say it all the time as a joke. Um, you know, like, Oh, I don't, I don't know. You say something to the effect of like, Oh yeah, I'm obsessed with this. And people are like, oh, well, the first step to getting better is admitting it, right? Like, oh, I'm obsessed with chocolate or whatever. And they're like, oh. Yes, the, I am. Yeah, the, the first step to to healing is. Admitting through, you admit, have a problem. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and that's the point is you have to admit, you have to see that in yourself and, and you have to come to an understanding that that's real. Um, and I think that that scene is really powerful for that because it is a – physical metaphor of what that looks like you know and and i think it's so perfectly well done to be represented in soul um and then yeah there's a lot of other themes running through dawn treader there's it's always bright it's always sunny and you know like they're at they're on the ocean and it's it's pretty crazy how much of it like they and this is what i like uh in ward talking he's like the the book that has it the most the 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 absolute most saturated book with this planetary ideal is the Don Treader. It's even in the friggin' name, the Don <laughs> Treader, right? And 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 it makes sense because the sun is the brightest freaking thing in the sky. So of course that book would have the most amount of things in it that pertain to the sun. I was like, and yet again, it's just like, good lord. This is this is almost too perfect how this is working out. <laughs> how it all lines up. Um, so next in line then is uh, the silver chair, which is embodying the moon or Luna. Right. And I learned so much. I did not even realize that the word lunatic was based on 
Luna, Luna before. Um, You're going to have to teach me something here because the moon, Venus, and Saturn kind of got away from me. I, I didn't catch a ton in those. So so I'm, I'm here for this. I'm here to listen to this. So I don't know that oh, yeah. I ever read um, The Silver Chair before this. Like I skimmed through it a little bit for this episode too because I was like really intrigued by this idea. Um, but in, in the pre-Copernican model of the universe, um, the moon is associated with like mental instability. Um, and that's kind of because like, obviously the, the moon is like always changing. Um, you know, it changes size every single night, uh, disappearing once a month. Um, and it's kind of just thought to be like a very unstable planet, Mm -hmm. quote unquote back then. Um, and in this, uh, silver chair, includes not one but two lunatics ward says one is the headmistress of um jill and eustace's school mm-hmm. who's portrayed like kind of amusingly um but then the other one is the lost prince rillian mm-hmm. um and at one point in the book the the quote is he says every night there comes an hour when my mind is most horribly changed i become furious and wild and would rush upon my dearest friends to kill them if i were not bound and he's bound to the silver chair and that's also a reference to the moon because it has a silvery light. So the moon is associated with all silver. of the silver on the planet, kind of the same way that the sun is associated with all of the gold on, on planet earth. Yeah. Um, oh, and then it's also associated with water because of its influence on earth's tides. Yeah. Um, and silver chair includes a lot of water and like watery imagery. Um, yeah. and those references are like too many to even count. Yeah. There's so many. <laughs> there's One so character many. is just water reference after water reference. Yeah. Cause he's a uh, puddle glum. Yeah. Cause yeah. he's just wet and moist the whole time. Yes. Um, and so in this story, um, Aslan basically sends Jill and Eustace to find Rillian. Um, but as they ascend into the underland, they start to forget and become confused. So again, yeah that moon imagery they're like losing their minds as they get farther and farther underground yeah um they begin to wonder whether sun and blue skies and wind and birds had not only been a dream mm. um and then at one point uh jill eustace and, and puddle glum are told many fall down and few return to the sunlit lands which is kind of depressing it's like if you associate that with mental illness it's like yeah many fall down and you're not likely to make it out yeah I'm like that is freaking deep for a kid's story yes it is <laughs> i'm not I'm, I'm not sure how to feel about this c.s lewis although actually yeah i i i'm sure how to feel about that because i think at one point in his past he was like talking about um like fables and stuff and how like if you just write it to be like a cute kid story you're not doing justice right. to it like yeah they're meant to be complicated and and like have some sort of meaning yeah did you get to how uh, Aslan was supposed to represent the moon at all because so far it's been bad um, and we're su- this is supposed to be a theory that Aslan is taking on each um, personality so essentially as it relates to like Christianity I don't think Ward was trying to make Aslan out to be the moon I think he was making him out to like um, be the thing that keeps you from going insane because at the beginning of the book Aslan tells the children to remember the signs he gives them he gives Jill four things to repeat to herself about their mission that they're on Mm. and he says to her whatever strange things may happen to you let nothing turn your mind from following the signs Mm. so that's similar to like God's advice uh to the the people of Israel in the Old Testament um one of the the 
verses that uh, Ward includes is, These words which I command you this day shall be upon your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk to them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. So he's equating that to Aslan's, like, insistence that Jill repeat the signs, repeat what I am telling you so that you don't get trapped down there. So as I, I took it, um, Aslan's trying to counteract the negatives of the moon. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I felt like there's, there was supposed to be more to the moon in like, from what I can remember, it was something to the effect of, of, you know, the, the moon reflects the sun's light. And so in that, like the metal is, is, is silver because, you know, there's gold and then silver. And so like you get the light from the moon and then you have, you know, you get it from the sun. So sun, then moon, then onto earth sort of thing. And I feel like there was something in the book like that. Like I said, I, I, I kind of got away it got away from me as far as what he was talking about because he started talking about how like the book is written in a moon cycle <laughs> and like all kinds of weird stuff. He talked about all that. He talked about like you know the witch uh, would what her wardrobe and like how that reflected the moon. He, I mean, he went in super deep. But the the part that I I guess I didn't I wasn't able to catch on to is there was supposed to be something about Aslan in here and basically it's like there's there's a reflection of the trueness of God that that comes through in this book. And I, I'm really I'm stumbling hard on it because I don't I didn't quite grasp it. It did resonate with me in the sense that like so with me and my wife um, before we were married, I, like there was there was a lot of dark times for me. I, I had a lot of of hardships. I still do. But, you know, that's because I'm a, a little baby boy and I just <laughs> look for the worst in life. Um, but the, uh, but I constantly talk about how, like, you know, if, if God is, is the sun in my life, like he's the, the light in my life. Um, there's a lot of times where I'm, I'm not facing him and I'm facing towards the darkness and I, and I'm shadowed and, and all that. But my wife, Rebecca would be the moon to me of, um, you know, she reflects God's light into my life and keeps me holding on for that morning um and so like that really whatever he was talking about in here that i seem to not be capable of comprehending at the moment it that kept going through my mind of of that yes hannah is that why your book is called rebecca moon it is it is exactly oh why gosh. it's called rebecca moon yeah yeah so go check that out on amazon.com <laughs> <laughs> That was not an intentional plug. I was just like, oh, my gosh, that makes a lot of sense now. Yeah. I like, <laughs> I like that. I feel like um, maybe it was just because it was the shorter version, but I don't remember Ward saying that in Narnia code. But it yeah. does make a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. It, and like I Aslan said, is I, supposed to embody one of the planets every time, which he does every other time, too. Right. So. Uh, like there's um, something about, you know, Christ submitting to the father um and all kind there's there's stuff in there i know there is i just didn't take it in is the problem well we're gonna keep on trucking keeping on uh and we're moving through this galaxy stop on the next stop we're gonna be moving closer to the sun yeah well are we moving yes we are yeah i I don't know the 
order of the planets. Off you don't the top know the order of, no. of the planets, Hannah? The public school system failed me. Hannah! Wait, what's the actual order of the planets? Not Mercury, the original ones. Venus, Earth, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, Pluto. No. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's a Neptune, then Uranus, then Pluto. Perfect. I could be wrong, though. Those two I could never remember because they're the same in my head. That's fair. Yeah. Um, so the next one, I guess we are getting closer to the sun then. Uh, the horse and his boy and Mercury. So Mercury was known as the messenger um, because it people were watching the skies and they're like, why is this like planet Just running around? Nuts. Yeah. Yeah. Man. Like crazy. Um, and it was thought to chase the sun around basically and like maybe carry messages from the sun to the other planets. Um, so it was associated with uh, qualities or traits like being good with words or responsible responsible for business our word commerce comes from mercury which is crazy to me all of these words that like we don't even think twice about that have these planetary connections not even planetary though it's it's god or like god yeah Yeah. god connections um and that was something that i think michael ward noted in his book it's like uh the current generation is kind of like losing sight of all those cool things about our language because you know we don't think about mercury that often yeah so i'm like commerce oh yeah i can see it or lunatic oh that makes sense yeah Yep. Uh, so yeah, we're here to teach you words and stuff. I mean, it's it's whenever you can play with words like that, it's always cool. Where like Monday through Sunday, Sunday through Saturday, I guess. Yeah. Half of them are are God Roman gods. You know, Monday is moon. Sunday is is Sundays solar sun. Mon Tuesday, I can't remember Tuesday. Wednesday is based off of the uh, uh, Norse um, god of Odin. Thursday is Thor's Day. Friday is I can't remember, and Saturday is Saturn. Like, and that's gonna come up again at some point. Yeah, it is. It's it's pretty crazy. Um, so yeah, so uh, C.S. Lewis also particularly liked the the shining suburb of the sun, as he called Mercury in one of his poems. Um, but he really struggled to sum up all the different qualities. Um, from like the God perspective or, or the, you know, the messenger perspective. Um, so at one point he started really looking at Mercury's metal. And this is something that you had mentioned earlier, like looking at the actual like metals, the gold, the silver. Mm-hmm. Um, so in this one, uh, everyone knows what Mercury is. It's what we throw in thermometers and like light bulbs that if they break, you have to call the EPA or whatever. Yeah. Um, but it's also known as quicksilver. Uh, it rolls around and drops. It splits up and comes back together. Um, and that was something that really struck me about the horse and his boy is it really seems to tie into the the quicksilver connection of mercury it does the messenger as well but um the horse and his boy is a story about twin brothers separated at birth they're identical twins and reunited years later so you, oh shit. yeah you see those droplets splitting and coming back together um and the story also has like a lot of other brother and like twin pairs as well. So like he's really driving that point home. Yeah, because Mercury is the ruler of the Gemini constellation. Yes. And the Gemini constellation represents the twins. The twins. Yeah. There's a lot to it. I don't know if you were going to go deeper on that or not. Um just that like yeah, the twins uh, semi based on Castor and Pollux um which are the the stars then yeah. that make up Gemini. Um and yeah, and Castor is Shasta. Yes. And Pollux is Corin. Uh Castor is a fame like in mythology, famously uh in mythology, uh horse breaker, someone who breaks horses and, and makes them, you know, uh better 
Tame. Tame. Um, and Shasta, while he doesn't necessarily break a horse, he is the boy to the horse in which the title calls the horse and his boy. He belongs to Bree, the horse. Um, and in a way makes Bree a better character. Uh, Bree is a talking horse. Something else about Mercury, Mercury is that he is the god of languages. So, uh, to a uh, horse that talks an Arnian horse that talks in a foreign land. Um, that's a theme as well. And he talks about how, you know, when the lions were attacking, uh, him, they all ran, but Shasta stayed, stayed behind and his bravery made Bree who thinks he's a great war horse ashamed, you know? And so he wants to be a better war horse. So he's, he's becoming a better person because of who Shasta is. And, uh, Corin, or I should say Pollux in mythology is the great fighter, the great boxer, and Corin in the land, and Narnia, he is a boxer. I remember that too specifically because Horse and His Boy was like my favorite one. I remember too that it talks about how he went and boxed the the bears of Narnia or some shit like that and like how like cool that sounds. Like he'd straight up just go fist fight a bear. Um, and so like that was always cool. And so you can see that it's, it's – an actual you know imagery of the gemini twins um that's that he's actually put in there along with the mercurial um ideals and themes that run alongside him one of the most obvious references that i thought was just like oh my gosh i can't even believe you did that was um to mercury's winged headgear so i i always think hercules um mercury yeah. running around with the like wings on his shoes and on his hat yeah um and that comes up in this book when there's a narnian lord who's wearing a silver cap with little wings on each side it's just like if you didn't already know this one was going to be about mercury here you go it's right here he's wearing yeah. his hat guys yeah and he goes into a little bit more of in planet narnia into the um trinity and kind of the different ideals of of how that's backed up through mercury i am not sure quite how he got there with it i didn't follow the that you know bread trail all the way but he did talk about it and bring up like there's a point where um where they've been attacked by several different lions um and uh shasta finally meets aslan is like yo aslan what the fuck dude like how come you weren't around when those lions attacked and Aslan's like, what are you talking about? What lions? I'm the only I'm lion. I'm the lion, yeah. I'm the only lion that you've seen. He was moving so fast that it literally looked like, like multiple, multiple lions. lions. Exactly. And there's a and he, he showed himself in three different ways and he was pushing them forward and um making them you know, he's the one that made Bree run faster than he thought he could have, and if it hadn't been for that, then they would have missed out on their stuff. And um and then when he asked, like, what is your name? And and, you know, he's like, I am and that's all like and that's an an allusion to I am that I am, which is what uh God calls himself at the bush and what Jesus says that he is he is. Um, I am who you say I am. Um and so there's that. Uh there's the um three different ways that he says it so like you know the three different uh forces of the uh trinity the the god of the father the god the son and the holy spirit um 
I'm trying to think. Uh, there, there's also the idea that not all good, not all things that happen to us are good to us, but in in that they are God's will, they are good, which we will get into with Saturn quite a bit. But this is another form of that because you know they were being chased by a friggin' lion and it was scary, but it ended up ultimately being good for them. Um, so there's there's a lot of that mercurial idea in there. Awesome. Yeah. We're Moving getting down right to along. it. We're getting, and Venus, I got nothing other than he was a horny dude. <laughs> Wait, are we talking about Lewis? <laughs> yeah, man. So the magician's nephew uh, is the the Chronicle of Narnia that is associated with Venus. Um, so Venus as the planet is especially beautiful just after dawn. So it's often known as the morning, morning star, star, which has some obviously or yeah obvious biblical references there so like i always thought of it as lucifer morning star mm-hmm. but i guess it's christ too because there were quite a there were a couple passages that uh michael ward used that like reference yeah. christ as the morning star yeah i always had a very negative connotation with that term why because <laughs> uh the only times i'd heard it referenced were with lucifer mm-hmm. like lucifer morning star i'm like oh shit is that like supposed to be his last name morning star are you watching supernatural is yeah that, that comes from I think he, in the Bible he was called like Daystar or something. Mm. But yeah, I've heard him in like pop I know culture in, as Morning I know Star. in Isaiah there, there's the reference of, you know, the, the oh, fallen star, oh, the, the fallen yeah. morning star, that sort of thing. So that's probably where it comes from. But I'm pretty sure there's also in, uh, oh, shoot, mm, tie tie the Bible, guys. He's losing <laughs> his grip here. New Testament, I want to say Peter. Uh, Christ is also called the Morning Star. Yeah. So. Um, and then. As, like, the goddess, um, Venus is also associated with love and creativity um, and, like, fertility and, like, all of the womanly qualities and stuff uh, and motherhood. And so this story kind of revolves around Diggory. He He's really stressing out because his mom back on Earth while he's in Narnia has, like, a terminal illness. Um, and so that kind of motivates him throughout this whole story. Um, so it's kind of embodying the motherhood aspect of Venus. It also has the creativity because in this um, this installment of the series, um, Lewis shows Aslan actually creating Narnia um, and the process that went into that. Um, and then another thing that Venus is known for is her apple. And in, in the book, Diggory is supposed to pluck an apple for Aslan so that they can plant a tree of protection to guard Narnia from the evil queen. Um, but the queen tries to tempt him to steal the apple to help his mother instead and cure her of her illness, um, which kind of has the like Garden of Eden uh, parallel to it as well. So uh, Diggory has to choose between his love for Aslan or God um, and his love for his mother. He ends up keeping his promise to Aslan and in turn, the lion tells him to pick a second apple, um, this time from the tree that they've just planted that will then uh, heal his mother from her illness. Mm. Um, so it really has that like motherhood, um, theme to it. Um, the love, the, the creativity that goes into all that is Narnia. Um, yeah. So in this one, um, I, I don't know that Ward really argued how Aslan embodies Venus other than the creation aspect, which is pretty strong in and of itself. And I guess there's the love, um, I think it's yeah. a it's a lot to do like Luna, which Luna also is a goddess. Um, so I think there's a little bit of uh, implication there of like you know, hey, look, uh, you know, these lines are a little fuzzy. Um, so there's, I think there's a little bit of that. Again, I didn't I didn't get into Venus that much. 
um, because I was really hopped up on Jupiter soul <laughs> and then Mars and then a little bit of Mercury. Um, and, and Venus was, uh, I, it's pretty obvious to me, I guess. Once you've read the magician's nephew and you start to see all the Venus stuff, you're like, Oh yeah. Very obvious. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I feel like that's how all of them are probably going to be from now on. I'm going to go back and be like, oh, yeah. How do you did think I you're going to go back and read these? Are you going to read the yeah, Chronicles I, of Narnia now? I think like I've I read at least two or three of them previously. Yeah. Um, but I feel like I had a hard time getting into some of the other ones that probably will be solved by actually knowing this deeper meaning. Like now I can yeah. be like, oh, that's really cool. Like I may not have appreciated it at surface level, but now I can see all of these parallels and like deeper yeah. meanings. And I mean. To some degree, like, it does make it feel less like a children's book when you're reading it for this. Like, sure. yeah, it was one thing when I was reading these ki- these these books as a kid. Um, but, like, my motivation as, like, a 20-something to go back and read kids' books is always a little little limited. Yeah. Um, but I, I think, I don't know. I, I mean, it, it, even now, if I reread it right now, it'd still be some time before I would reread it again. But my hope is to read it to my kids, you know, like bedtime stories and stuff. Um, and now you'll be like geeking out when you do that. Yeah. Or I'll like have like super revelations into my own faith while I'm reading them to my children. Perfect timing. Yeah. <laughs> my kids have no chance of being normal, <laughs> like none at all. So, um, yeah. So anything else on Venus? I don't think so. I'm really stoked on Saturn actually. Are you? Yeah. Here's, here's my one thing on Saturn and then I'll let you just go. Right. The, the big thing that I got out of Saturn was just, you know, c- it was the the end times, this apocalyptic, uh, revelationy type of thing, um, but it was the idea that I have struggled with in my own life. And honestly, to be completely honest, I have failed at pretty hardcore of finding the the essence of God in the basically forsakenness of of this world right and and it's a thing that even jesus went through you know my god my god why have you forsaken me um to it happens in the last battle which is the book that saturn appears in and uh but more than that it is this idea that i have been coming to terms with and i've argued with so many people about because there's this very christian idea that within god there is no evil Right. Which I can agree with. But. I don't I truly believe at this point and it, and it kind of solidified it, reading it in here that God is so far above us. God is so much bigger than us. So God is not human. It, it is not man. It is not woman. It is not anything. It is it is outside of time and reality and, and creation and the universe and, and all things. So what we deem as bad, what we deem as evil, doesn't even compare to the justice that God brings forth. Right. The, the good that God has for us is sometimes bad to us and downright evil to us because we cannot see it. And again, I have argued this with people because there's like, that's impossible. God would have, you know, that it is good. If it's, if it's good, he wouldn't let you think it's evil. And to that, I say, sometimes I don't think that's true. 
sometimes I don't think that God needs to tell you that it is evil or good. He just, it just happens. And that is what Saturn is all about. Like all about is like, you know what? It's destruction, my guy. That's just what it is. (laughs) So I read the last battle when I was probably in like middle school or something. And it went, it, Totally over my head. Yeah, Uh, monkeys breaking the earth. What's happening? (laughs) Yeah, I picked it up because there was a unicorn on the cover. Yeah, that's literally the extent of it. And I don't remember it being this dark at all. Like I reread um, like several portions of it for this episode. I was like, holy shit, this is fucked up. I was reading this when I was like ten or eleven. Yeah, man. Um, because like everyone dies in it. Yep, everybody dies. Mm -hmm. It's pretty brutal. So Saturn. Um, the connection here is Saturn is um, like connected with Father Time. And Father Time carries a scythe because he cuts down life like wheat. Um, and he also carries an hourglass to remind us that we only have so much time. Um, he's based on Saturn, which was, among other things, the planet of old age, death, and disaster. Which, God, I feel like Saturn gets a bad rap here. I always thought it was kind of pretty. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, again, <laughs> I yeah. I I think that it it is evil to us. It is bad to us. That doesn't mean it's bad. Yeah. Um, so Father Time is the one who brings Narnia to an end in the last battle. Um, and in this, this was like one of the clearest connections that I think like was almost proof that this was Lewis's plan all along. Mm. Um, when Jill and Eustace see the the giant that is Father Time, they remember mm. having seen him asleep in the underworld of the silver chair. And they recall, quote, that his name was Father Time and that he would wake on the day the world ended. So Ward, in his research, actually found an earlier draft of the silver chair at Oxford University in one of the libraries and saw that originally the Earthman in the underworld told Jill and Eustace the sleeping giant was, quote, the god Saturn, who once was a king in Overland. They say he will wake at the end of the world. But Lewis changed the name from Saturn to Father Time. Yeah. So that was almost like my aha moment. I'm like, yeah. okay, you've made a good argument. Now that's like almost proof for yeah. me yeah. that this was his plan all along. But yeah. he like wanted to make it more subtle. And um, one of the things to remember in this is that Lewis wrote four of the books before getting any of them published. So like he had time to go back and kind of refine his plan mm-hmm. along the way a little bit. Um, so it wasn't like he like published one and then tried to make the other ones fit. fit. Like there's yeah. there's – a very high probability that he had it all plotted out before yeah. before publishing. Um, so, yeah. So, in this one, I didn't really see any parallels be- between Aslan and Saturn. What I saw was that Jupiter, like, won in the end. The jovial influence beat Saturn. Um, the characters are healed of all of their ailments. And the older characters, like, lose their gray hair and... And all their aches and pains and Edmund's knee stops hurting him and they reunite with their old friends. So I saw it more of like Aslan um, kind of recentering this and being like, you know, this may be the end of Narnia, but it's like the beginning of the real story almost. Um, and I don't know if you had a different take on that. Um, there is. There's some stuff in here that he does talk about. Um, that basically Father Time is a is a form of Aslan that Aslan calls back into himself that all the stars are called back into himself and so it, he takes in Father Time as him hmm. sort of thing but then there's there's other stuff where um, 
man, where is it? It, it was it was such an interesting um, idea, and and really where I got where I got a lot of my stuff on here. No, it's fine. I mean, I'm I'm if I can't find it quickly, I'm not gonna really talk about it. But it uh, like it, the the king of this book is his what is his name? Uh, Tyrion, mm-hmm. and. Tyrion straight up gets strung up to a tree and he's bleeding out and he's calling to Aslan and there's nothing. There's there's nothing like nothing happens to save him. Um, but as he's calling out, something is changing inside of him that makes him happy, that makes him realize that something good is happening. And um, C.S. Lewis has talked about this before and he talks about it specifically with prayer where um, when when one is praying, they are not reading off a shopping list to God of all the things that they want. But in effect, what they what real prayer is trying to do is trying to align yourself with the God of creation to under to want what God wants. Right. Um, it's submission. It's understanding. It's enlightenment. It's all of these things. And it is and it comes at for a Tyrion at a time when nothing happens when all of this is ending and he starts to realize sometimes death is not the worst thing to happen right and he calls out to aslan and aslan doesn't answer because it's not time for aslan to answer it's not time for aslan to do anything and in that Tyrion can find comfort he can he can realize wow okay this is this is what's happening now i need to just come to terms with it um, so there's that, that part of the, the Saturn, like destruction and death and death is not the end or death is not the worst thing to happen to people. It's just a part of life. Um, so I think that that, that hit big with me. That's the Saturn thing that I took away. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Is it time for Ty Ty the Bible guy? <sighs> yeah. We're already an hour and 15 minutes in. So you're, you guys are stuck with us. <clears throat> um, so Hannah, do you think it's important? Do you think it's important that that we studied all this to understand Narnia more? I think it is for us. I don't I think it's like what each reader wants to get out of a book because like yeah, if I was 10 years old and reading this, like this would all be way over my head. Sure. Um but as an adult, like yeah, it's pretty meaningful to look back and be like this all had a plan from the get-go. And that's very in line with I think Lewis as a person like uh, you know, e- even comparing it to God's plan, like mm. things don't happen by accident. Mm. Uh, there was some degree of like intelligent design to how he did these stories. Sure. Um, and so, yeah, I think especially from like a writing perspective, it's very meaningful to see that too. Being like he put so much detail into this. It was not a hodgepodge. Nothing happened by accident. Um, and just the layering of that, I think even if you don't know that that's why the story is good, I think that's what makes the story good. Mm. Even if you don't understand the the planetary connections, like it makes the story so much richer. Yeah. And even if it's not true, it's a way of looking at it that can help understand something about the story. Um, because the planets and the gods of the planets were very much a part of C.S. Lewis's life. Mm-hmm. So even if we even if we want to say, okay, this is not what he actually meant out of it, but maybe subconsciously he threw those in, or he consciously threw them in, but it wasn't supposed to be the the end all theme. 
um, it's still there. It's still obviously there. Um, and it's something that we can look at. The, the part that I had a, a problem with, the part that I really struggled with is why would a Christian want to read stories about other gods? Right? And I think that's a valid question. Um, it's not, he's not making them out to be mythological creatures or uh, fairy tale figures. He is saying these are the gods, right? These are the aspects of, of these gods that are true. And I'm going to use them to represent Aslan. And through Aslan, I'm going to represent Christ. And, and, and at a point, he talks about the poetry of things. I said it earlier that there is, there is a beauty of things that is, that is worth capturing over the facts of things. And I think the very fact that he takes an outdated form of the solar system and uses that shows that he is not looking at literally defining the cosmos, right? He's going, this is a beautiful way of looking at the cosmos. This is a poetic way of looking at the cosmos where we are surrounded by seven different heavens and each heaven that's higher than the next has a different God, a different entity. So in that he's saying, this is not literal. This is metaphorical. It is not uh, the reality of things. It is a perception of things. And and he says it a couple times in Planet Narnia. You are not looking directly into the light of it. You are looking along the light of it to, to understand what the light is because you're seeing the darkness and the lightness at the same time. Yeah. So, so if I can interject yeah. real quick, for people who may not understand the metaphor, uh, Michael Ward sets it up really good. It's like when you're in like a darkish room and you see a beam of light, when you look at the light, you can actually see the beam. Mm-hmm. Um, he's saying you're not looking at it. You're looking along it, seeing what it illuminates. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> so I think that same thing applies to the understanding that these are the aspects of these gods. He is not saying that they are gods themselves of this universe, that they are aspects of one God. He is looking along the light of one God and seeing different beams of light, different ideas that are being uh, expressed. And they are humanistic realities. They are aspects of us as humans that we have been dealing with since the day we evolved into a point that we could understand them and contemplate them. Death war, love, joy, sadness, madness. All of these things are things that we as humans have to correlate and categorize and, and put together into in, and make sense of it. Now we have things like psychology and, and, and sociology and science that we can do all that with. But back in the day, those were done through philosophical means and through religious means and, and, uh, the aspect of warmth and joy and springtime all represented the joviality of the world, the, the jovial spirit, um, gold and transformation and enlightenment was soul and madness was, you know, the moon, because, uh, just to go a step further on the moon, people usually go a little bit crazier at night, especially during a full moon. Like there are aspects of these things that they equated to the natural world around them. And then the planets started to become a part of our universe. And we started to say that planet must be this because of it's this, right? The bright red one is, is jovial. It's, it's, it's iron. Like it's, it's got that, that, um, 
sense of, of joviality. And so uh, he uses these aspects and that's what I, that's what I see them as, as aspects of God that he wants to further layer in and show in a way that is familiar to human beings without it being blatantly Jesus. Right. Um, and to go a step further, I've talked a lot about this with a lot of people. If you look at the, the miracles of Jesus from the gospels of the new Testament, none of them are original. Everything that Jesus did in the Bible was something that another God was said to have done. Pan, the God Pan could turn water into wine, right? Um, uh, the Egyptian God Osiris. Yeah, that sounds right. Died and was risen again three days later. Um, there's, gosh dang, there's a few of them. I, and I don't have them all off the top of my head. Walking on water, not original. Um, Feeding many, not original. Um, escaping into a crowd, not original. Like everything that Jesus did was unoriginal. Does that take away from the power of of what Jesus was was spreading? Absolutely not. If anything, it makes it more powerful because and and it's very important we understand Jesus wasn't trying to to do anything new. He was trying to show that he himself is all of these things to all people. And even that comes up in a later uh, scriptural passage where, where Paul says, be all things to all people. Well, Jesus was doing that. He was saying, look, you believe in Pan, but I am Pan. I'm more than Pan because I can do what Pan did and more. And I, you believe in this God. I can do that too and more. I can do what that God can do. Even the creation uh, story that we get from Genesis is just a retelling of the Sumerian creation story with seven different gods all creating an aspect of the world. They each do it their own thing. Moses is like, you know what? Our God can just do all of it, just just himself, and he can do it in six days, and he can sleep on the seventh day. That's how great our God is, right? And it's it's to show you how outside of this world God is. And I know I'm being very, very tie tie the Bible guy. I'm, I'm <laughs> going to step back. I, I understand, again, not trying to preach. I mean, I am, but I'm not trying to preach to do anything. It's for you guys to understand. That's what C.S. Lewis was doing. He's saying that Aslan, this representation for God in his stories, can and is all, can be and is all of these gods and more. And when you look at them, you're looking at an aspect of them. You're looking along the light, not at the light. Damn. <sighs> I think that might have been your best sermon yet. Yeah, you think so? I pulled it in at five minutes. Good job. I would not have fallen asleep in church to no? that sermon. I can I can go start doing some, some speeches out in the world. Yes, go find a corner and stand on it with hey, a sign. Hey, church, if you want a guy that curses a lot but still talks about Jesus, <laughs> you can hire me to come to your youth group. I'm not even joking. It's I'll do it. It's a very niche job so you're much. searching for. You guys can reach us at lewisandlovecraft at gmail.com. <laughs> just, just set it up. We'll, I'll come to your youth group. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> That's what the kids need. Yeah, they do. I think they do. They need someone who's going to be real. Yeah. And who's realer than Tyler? Nobody. Well, Jesus is more real. Jesus. Okay. Well. <laughs> Anna. <laughs> Sorry. Well. Could you guys hear the eye roll I just did? <laughs> Shh. All right.
That's it. That's Planet Narnia. Stop saying that Tolkien is better than Lewis. <laughs> he's not. I mean, he's good. I don't think I've ever said that. Like, I love Lord of the Rings, but I will be the first person to say Tolkien. Hire an editor. Cut out the chapter about the room. Cut out so much shit. And stop being a dick to your friend. <laughs> <laughs> Tolkien is like the Ernest Hemingway of this friendship. Oh, like, shit. Which we're going to get into in the next episode. Yeah. Because we're going to talk about him. And by Ernest Hemingway, we don't mean that he's going to cheat on his wife and make his <laughs> wife feel bad when she brings it up. <laughs> Total gaslighting. No, we just mean that Hemingway was kind of a dick to his good friend F. Scott Fitzgerald. Yeah. Uh, like Tolkien was a dick to C.S. Lewis. Yeah. Clive, as I like to call him. Good old Clive. <laughs> or Jack, actually. Uh, so we have a new, we have a new segment that we're bringing to you guys. Yes, because Tyler and I don't get enough of like art and literature talk or just general. Yeah. Fun. Yeah. Lightheartedness. Um. So yeah. So. We wanted to talk about just whatever else we're excited about right now, mm -hmm. uh, whether that be books, movies, or other podcasts. Whatever. Yeah, whatever. Um, which was the one I wanted to talk about this week. Um, so if you've been listening to the show for a long time, you've definitely met our friends over at Best Friends Playbook, um, yeah. Crystal and Allie. We've had Allie on our show several times. I've gone on their show. Um, they're awesome. She and helped out with that the Halloween episode. She did so much on the so Halloween episode. So damn good, dude. Yeah, Allie is, Allie is awesome. Crystal's awesome. And um, their third season, I think, yeah, just premiered season. of their podcast. Um, in it, they look at um, mostly movies and like TV shows um, and analyze the friendships in there because they're like lifelong best friends. Mm -hmm. um, so it's just a really entertaining way of like looking at um, pop culture and, and art um, f through a different lens. And so their first episode that I just listened to today is on Bridgerton, which everyone is freaking out about. It's the new no Netflix idea. show. Zero I, idea. So I tried to watch it, or my sister was like trying to watch it, and I was not getting into it, um, and my mom was not getting into it, so we just like stopped. Um, but after listening to their episode, I might have to go back and try again <laughs> because like I, they made me like want to get into it. Um, so, so you you heard it here, Netflix. If you're gonna pay anybody <laughs> for advertising, it needs to be Best Friends Playbook. Yes. They yeah. made a, they, yeah, I just, I love hearing them talk about this stuff and um, just their friendship and they have a lot of wisdom to impart. So definitely go check out Best Friends Playbook. They have tons of other episodes, even if Bridgerton's not your thing. Um, and they've also got a lot of exciting episodes planned for this year. Um, when I was on their show for a couple Halloween episodes, um, Allie dropped some hints about what they're working on and definitely some big, big shows out there that mm. they're going to start breaking down. So nice. yeah, stay tuned for that. Yeah, I'll wait till they cover like I don't know. They did Harry Potter, they did uh, Harry Potter. and Lord of the Rings, which were some of my favorite episodes. When are they gonna do uh, Marvel stuff? Hey, ooh, Allie, Crystal, I... where's your Marvel stuff? What the heck? Hey, maybe you need to go on and talk Marvel with them. They all they have to do is text <laughs> is me. They have my phone number. Anyone who wants to talk Marvel, just text. Just text Tyler. Tyler. You can reach me at lewisandlovecraft at gmail.com. I'll come talk to your church about Marvel, Jesus, and <laughs> Narnia. Uh, so, Tyler. I can't, I can't, uh, speaking of Marvel, <laughs> I didn't even think I was going to talk about this, but WandaVision, yo. Is that out? Yeah, it's uh, the first five episodes are out. And holy damn, end of, five, end of fifth episode, holy damn. Is this on Disney Plus? Yeah. Oh. I should watch that. You should. But my actual one that I want to talk about is another podcast. Well, podcast going, growing. 
uh, Crit Seekers. Um, I've gotten to know Mason, the dungeon master over at Crit Seekers, uh, a bit over the last few months. Um, very cool guy, very cool crew. Um, and in fact, uh, Mason is going to be our very first, uh, correspondence episode next week. So make sure you tune in for that, uh, where we talk about everything from life to D and D to, I mean, just like how, how we get through (laughs) our our life uh and and he and i sat down and had a a good chat um and they actually just began doing a live stream on twitch where they play DD on on twitch on monday evenings uh i'm really bad at time mostly because they're in a different time time zone zone, yeah they're i think they start at like four or five o'clock in the in the west on on my time but it's not the same for them so it's like it's like seven o'clock their time i don't know six or seven uh but it's a really really good show and they're they're really like they're they're trying to get more viewers for their twitch stream so that they can they can justify doing some other stuff that would be really really cool um so huge shout out to them and i really i if you're into dungeons dungeons and dragons or fantasy or you want to just see a, a twitch live stream go check them out crit seekers c-r-i-t seekers um so yeah those oh. are that's what i'm I, i've been binging their stuff like crazy so. i love finding a new podcast so you can just binge like years worth sometimes of yeah episodes. yeah i did that with uh um monster hour and i binged like all their stuff and now i i have to binge it i can't like listen to each episode every week so i, I have to wait like five or six weeks before i can listen to them again uh, that's the only drawback to the binge listening yeah, yeah. um so yeah so we gotta get out of here real quick but i wanted to give an early heads up to all of our writer friends um we're doing another flash fiction show because i'm a glutton for punishment and i was like hey tyler you did such a good job with that show maybe i should try to do one yeah um so our next one will be coming up in the spring uh, it's gonna be a sci-fi flash fiction mm-hmm. so um you know channel your inner frank herbert or God, what's the name of the dude who wrote Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? This. Why why this. can I not think of it? Douglas Adams. Douglas Adams. God One of my favorite authors. Yes. Channel your inner Douglas Adams. Um, Arthur C. Clarke. Uh, Isaac Asimov. Isaac Asimov. Uh, uh, who's that other one? That racist one. Oh, all of them. <laughs> <laughs> it's like H.P. Lovecraft. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, him too. He's some sci-fi. Of that could count as sci-fi. Oh, it's yeah. super sci-fi. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, send us your your flash fiction. Um, we like 500 to 700 words. Uh, email it to us at lewisandlovecraft um, at gmail.com. I don't have a firm deadline yet, I don't think, but it's going to be sometime in April, probably early-ish April, yeah. um, just because I am not the beast that Tyler is and need more time to like edit and get all of this together because I promised I would do most of the work because he did all of it last time. So yeah. So, yeah. And so, I'll, I'll be doing the, the Halloween one uh, again, uh, but it's way too early for you to send. No, it's not. Send those in yeah, if you want. Send but, all of your stories. But, but yeah. Yeah. So uh, help me out, guys, and uh, send me your your sci-fi. I'm going to try to write one, too. I've never written sci-fi, so this is going to be a fun challenge for me. I've been brainstorming. Oh, I guess I'll have to do it as well, right? Yeah. I have to write my own. Um, Did you end up reading for the last Halloween episode? I didn't. So I get to write, and you get to find someone to read mine? Yes. Okay. I'm going to have fun with that. (laughs) Perfect. Uh, so, uh, make sure you guys go check out our stuff. You can find us, you can email us anything you want. Lewis and Lovecraft at gmail.com. You can find us on facebook.com. Uh, 
slash Lewis and Lovecraft. Our Instagram is where you're going to find most of our stuff. We try to post just about every day of the week there. Um, but here's the big one, you guys. I've done a lot of work. Go check out our website for realsies, lewisandlovecraft.com. You can see new pictures of us, not old pictures of us. Um, you can learn a little bit more about us. It's a great way to follow what we're doing. I don't even have a personal website anymore. I'm just going to start having it all go to the Lewis and Lovecraft page. <laughs> uh, but then also I'm setting up the bookshelf. Um, basically, you guys can go there and you can see pictures of, you know, the, the authors that we've done our shows on. You can you can see, you know, who they are. And if you click on it, it'll take you to the episode that we've done an episode of for them. Um, so definitely check check it out. And, and if you have something that you want to check out our show, then it's the best place to send them to because they can go through that, see a picture and be like, oh, I, I know that weird fat old white guy. Let's go, <laughs> let's click on his picture and it'll take them right to that episode. Yeah, I love that feature. Um, I think that's really cool. And yeah, Tyler did a great job with it and our photos look awesome. Our old photos were good too, but it's but been a while. Good, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, as always, we want to thank Jake Basson for our awesome intro music. You can find him at soundcloud.com slash Jake Basson has all sorts of great music of many different genres. Um, and also here's your weekly reminder to subscribe to our show. So you never miss an episode and also rate and review us, um, especially on iTunes. I feel like we have not gotten any new reviews in a while. So step it up guys. Yeah. Give us a new review. Hey, for real, someone leaves us a review on iTunes, send it to us. We will send you a sticker. We have stickers. It's bribery, but we embrace it. Yeah, we need it. You know another great way to get stickers, Hannah? (gasps) What, Tyler? Our Patreon. You get to announce all the new stuff this time. (laughs) It's because I've been working on it. (laughs) Yes, he has. (laughs) But yeah, Tyler has brought us into the, uh, the 2021 age of podcasting and made us a patreon which yeah. looks legit uh yeah i feel like it's pretty good looking i feel like our tiers are really good you can do one dollar where we do nothing but say thank you but say thank you i guess because that's but super nice it's of a you. dollar thank you very much you can do five dollars where you get like a sticker I, I i'm actually gonna bring it up because i don't want to promise the wrong thing well for five dollars you get a sticker and that's where we start doing bonus content too so yeah which give i us still money don't know what that and means and we'll talk but. more <laughs> yeah, Tyler's making promises that he can't deliver on. And I then absolutely- I text him and I'm like, yo, we should record some bonus content. Yeah, what's this bonus content we have to do, Hannah? I don't understand what you're signing me up for. Um, uh, the next one is $10 and you get to be on our newsletter, right? Like, or yeah. not on it, but like you get... We'll make like, a, I don't know. Have you seen like Substack, which is the new thing? Like, I, I don't know why everyone's <laughs> doing Substack, but it's not Substack, but just like we'll send you stuff that we like like recommendations thoughts on things mm. um you know more behind the scenes podcasting Hannah's stuff. gonna make me write stuff up now and it's gonna <laughs> be more stuff I gotta do I will not make you write the newsletter I already promised I would do that <sighs> thank you so much uh you also at ten dollars get to oh I'm sorry this actually happens at uh five dollars but you also get it at ten dollars uh episode ideas future episode ideas you get to weigh in on those if we if we throw a poll up you can be all like i want to hear more about the planet of jupiter uh thing uh so that's a thing that you can do so that's fun and then 15 dollars a month uh that's our that's a big one um you get all the same stuff as before but then you also 
either get to be a guest on Correspondence, where one of us, or both of us, if that's what you prefer, will interview you and we'll talk about your favorite books and authors, or you can just simply write in a fun message and we will read it. Whatever it is. Maybe sans just a couple of words. (laughs) There's a few words we won't say, but mostly we'll read whatever you want us to. And discuss. Yeah, definitely we will. Uh, and we're, then we're very motivated by cash, as you can tell. And then there's two more tiers, which you get zero extra stuff on. It's the same as $15 a month, but it's $25 a month because you're just a good person. Uh, that one's called We Won't Stop You. Uh, and then the $50 a month tier, which is We Won't Stop You Too. And it's T-O-O, comma, the second one. <laughs> Uh, so basically, we're just hoping that like Bill Gates is a yeah, fan of just the like show one or of you really nice like one of our listeners who's really rich will just pay us fifty dollars a month, but get the fifteen dollars a month stuff. <laughs> I mean, isn't that what rich people already do? They just pay extra yes. for the exact same thing. We'll just be a lot nicer when we interview them. <laughs> <laughs> we'll say sir a lot. <laughs> yes, sir, sir, and Hannah. What's yep. the best way? That people can help us out. I mean, the best way is to send us $25 a month on Patreon, but... That's true. That is true. For $0 a month, you can do the actual best thing, which is tell a friend about our show. That's all you have to do. Just go... Look, if you're sitting there and you're like, I cannot afford a dollar a month, that's fine. Just stop what you're doing and give us two minutes by going to your friend and be like, you know what I just heard? I I just heard about how C.S. Lewis liked vagina so much. That he wrote a whole book about it. He wrote a whole book about it. I feel like that was not our point. (laughs) (laughs) And that's our episode. Woohoo! And in our next episode, let's. uh, We're going to be talking about Tolkien. Tolkien. (laughs) In the next episode, we'll speak friend and enter. Ooh! That sounded Where were you like 10 seconds ago before I said Tolkien about Tolkien? And I'm not okay with how sexual that sounded. Speak, friend, and enter. You literally said, like, come inside earlier, so... (laughs)